Well, I love that, that first choice of the, the worship song, just a perfect uh, selection for our, our theme today from uh, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, I'm taking uh, three parts here at the end of chapter 7 that uh, sometimes you, you can look at them separately, but I really felt like they all kind of go together and are connected here. So we're going to look at Matthew 7, verses 13 through 25. And before I read this, uh, let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word to us. Thank you that, that you were sent to be our Savior, to show us, God the Father, so that we can know truth, that we can be saved, that we can come to the knowledge of the truth and walk in the truth and live it. And pray that we would hear these words, that you would strengthen our faith, and our trust in you. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and, and cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And, and so I chose here to start at 13 and 14, because it tells us that the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And uh, so it tells us right away here, okay, this is, what is he talking about? He was talking about the way that leads to life. What, what is life-giving? What is, what is the way that leads to life? And uh, that the way that leads to life, in a, in a general sense and in an ultimate sense, can, is, is narrow and hard to find. Uh, and it can feel elusive to many people, especially when, accepted solutions, things that have been accepted as, as supposed to help, as life-giving, uh, prove unreliable. 
And uh, I think of one case of this here. Um, for instance, I, I have a lot of friends who have severe struggles with, with depression. And so caring for that depression, caring for themselves requires taking care of a multitude of factors. There's just so many things they have to do to help balance that and help that. And many of them were, have been told very early in their life that they have a chemical imbalance and, and that needs to be treated and, and that habits and attitude is not going to be enough. They have to treat that chemical imbalance. Well, I, I came across a very recent study uh, that throws some serious doubt on the connection between depression and low serotonin. And th this was published just last month, just uh, July 20th here, uh, in Molecular Psychology by researchers at University College London. And the review assessed 17 large-scale studies that collectively included tens of thousands of participants. And the authors claim it is the first comprehensive review to evaluate all relevant evidence for the serotonin theory of depression. The researchers concluded there was no consistent evidence of an association between serotonin and depression. Specifically, they found no evidence that depressed people have lower levels of serotonin than do non-depressed people. This research is important. I think we all recognize that immediately here. Uh, is important because many people take antidepressants because they've been told they have a chemical imbalance. It may be difficult news, but people deserve to know there is no evidence to support this idea. Tweeted lead study author Joanna Moncrief. But Moncrief also warned on her website against suddenly stopping an antidepressant treatment, as this could cause severe withdrawal symptoms. And I, I found uh, this uh, covered in an article in World News Group. They were, they were reporting on this recent study there. And I can't help but think for all my, my friends struggling with depression, I mean, this news has got to feel just like an uppercut to an already discouraged heart. And for this struggle and for all the struggles in our life, it's very clear that, that the truth matters. It matters what the truth is and what we do with it. It matters what actually helps, what is just a, helping us cope, and what is actually curing. Like th Those things matter. The truth matters. And they, my friends, and I find themselves in kind of an endless search for a, a better cure or a different factor that will help something, and there's always something else. And this search leaves many cynical and skeptical and bitter. And you look at a lot of people in our society around us, and, and they've dismissed any possibility of truth, that, that tr the truth can be found at all or it exists at all. But w without Truth, you have only confusion, and this confusion is only adding on to the despair and anxiety that's already there. Because if nothing is true, nothing is certain, then, then people will try anything to help what is hurting inside and out. Even things, trying even things that are, are, should be blatantly untrue. And Jesus, he 
He wants us to find that narrow way that leads to life in the universal sense. He wants us to find that narrow way that leads to real, true life. And because he wants us to find this way, he warns us against false prophets. Verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So what is a false prophet? Well, a false prophet is anyone who claims to be speaking for God, that God has directly spoken to them, or it claims to interpret God's word, but either way they're doing it, they are lying about what God has taught. Now that is a, a false prophet. And Jesus tells us that these false prophets, well, all, the, all false prophets, are wolves in sheep's clothing. They are trying to appear as if they're just innocently trying to help you out, but really they are trying to gain power for themselves. And we all hate that, right? We hate being manipulated by others. Whether we, Often manipulation has a, has a hint of truth in it. They use a little bit of truth and a whole lot of lie and, and manipulate people for their own gain, not to actually help others. And I, I think everyone hates being manipulated, right? Um, and without truth, though, it's harder and harder to tell. Well, who is actually manipulating? And many people... Without truth, they just think that everyone is manipulating, that, that everyone who asserts any sort of truth claim is, is just making a power play, that there's no actual truth. But that, that confusion, that dismissal of all truth, that's exactly what false prophets thrive on. Because without, bias and misinformation just make accountability harder and harder. And you think about any area of our society, you can see how that's playing out. I don't have to spell that out to you. Um, but Jesus gives us encouragement. He tells us you can recognize false prophets. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So he says you will recognize them. It is possible. And when he talks about their grape, their fruits, he's talking about the consequences of their ideas. So their ideas, their doctrines, their teachings will bear fruit in life, just like plants bear various fruit, either grapes and figs or thistles and thorns. And, and first and foremost, we recognize the truth by measuring against God's word. That's, that's the ideas. We can just compare idea to idea. We know this is the foundation of truth. But Jesus say, also says, ideas have consequences. They bear fruit. You will be able to see these playing out in people's lives. And uh, John Stone Street from the Colson Center, he's, I, he says this so well. He says, all ideas have consequences. And bad ideas have victims. And I'm just going to let that sit there because... I just wanted to sink in. So all of us, I think, we, we've felt the consequences of our own bad ideas or others' bad ideas. We've been victims of others' bad ideas that play out in how they behave and treat others. And we, many of us, carry deep hurts inside because of the consequences of somebody else's bad ideas. But people don't always connect the consequences they're hurting from with 
the bad ideas. They might see the bad behavior of the other person, but they don't recognize, hey, there is a bad idea, a bad teaching behind that. And bad ideas have consequences because we, have to, we live in reality. And if you aren't living according to reality, the consequences will happen. They will come. But John 8.32, Jesus says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. There is freedom in knowing the truth. But on the other hand, verse 34 from the same chapter, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. So the truth will set you free, but on the other hand, if you don't know the truth or if you deny the truth, then those falsehoods will enslave you to sin, to ignorance, to poverty. You will find yourself back there again. And uh, the, one of my uh, favorite cartoons growing up was the Animaniacs. And the Animaniacs had a segment called Good Idea, Bad Idea. And uh, I'll give you a couple of examples. I think you'll enjoy these. So Good Idea, taking a deep breath before jumping into a swimming pool. Bad Idea, taking a deep breath after jumping into a swimming pool. Good Idea. Kissing a loved one. It's a good idea, right? Bad idea. Kissing a total stranger. Good idea. Doing your own yard work. Bad idea. Doing your own dental work. A good idea. Playing cops and robbers in the park. It's a good idea. Bad idea. Playing cops and robbers in the bank. And uh, but we, all, we, we can laugh at these, and there's a whole, whole lot more of these. They're hilarious. Um, but they're funny to us because we can all imagine the consequence of the bad idea, right? We all know what will happen. You know, if, if you try to breathe after you're in the water, you will choke. If you kiss a total stranger, you will be slapped. If you are doing your own dental work, I don't want to know what's going to happen. <laughs> Do that at your own peril. If you play cops and robbers in the bank, you will be arrested. Like, <laughs> we can imagine the consequences. And, and Jesus says false ideas, bad ideas built on falsehoods, and those who teach them and those who follow them are like trees. Verses 17 and 18. Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So the tree is it's the idea, it's the teacher of the idea, and it's those who follow the idea. It's, it's all those who follow the idea, who, and then it, that idea lives out in their lives, in their fruit. And their lives will bear either the fruit of that idea or the, the consequences of that teaching. And an idea is only as good as its source. And when we look at the, the fruits and the consequences playing out in our society overall, it's a healthy wake-up call for everyone. What is the idea, what is the bad idea behind the consequences in our society? Because when we look at our society around us, it, sh it looks a lot like 2 Timothy 3. Verses 1 through 4 and verse 7. 
But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The world around us is in desperate need of truth. Truth that leads to life. And because if, if these verses of 2 Timothy 3 are the fruits playing out in your life, then, then you cannot claim to be a healthy tree. And, and Jesus warns these false prophets and those who follow them that judgment is coming. It says in verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And I, I think it, the, the tree metaphor helps us understand God's heart in judging the false prophets and those who follow them. Because we think about trees. Well, what does the city do with diseased trees? Do they just let them sit there and say, well, I hope it gets better. I hope it doesn't spread. No, they, they come in, they cut down that tree, they grind up the stump, they grind out the roots, they dig it all out, they leave nothing that could carry that disease. And they do this to protect the other trees, otherwise they will lose all the trees. They do it because they love all the, all the trees. And God wants life for all people. So those who teach death but call it life will be judged by God. They will be uprooted and burned because they led people away from true life. And as Christians, we are called to proclaim the truth, to proclaim the narrow way that leads to life. And if what we want is, is if we truly want life for our neighbors, then well, we can't compromise the truth for them. And Chuck Colson, he said it this way in his book, The Faith. It's a powerful statement here. I'm going to read through about three paragraphs, but it's, it's powerful for us. Why does truth matter so much? Because the tr church simply can't be the church without being on the side of truth. Jesus came as the champion of the truth and of those on the side of the truth. Without understanding this, the church cannot even present the gospel. Without truth, it resorts to therapy and has patience, not disciples. Much of Christianity's retreat from the truth or tempering of our witness in the West has been motivated by good intentions, not to offend or be judgmental, the desire to feel more personally connected to God, and to make Christianity more relevant and culturally acceptable. The history of Christianity, including the, the faith surge in the third world today, 
shows the reverse to be the case. While we always want to be sensitive to other cultures, we cannot be co-opted by them. And I will insert in there that includes being co-opted by our own American culture. The early Christians who treated plague victims certainly were not embracing the pagan culture. Nor were they trying to make Christianity more relevant and win over the hearts of an empire. They were simply carrying out the truth of their faith that every person is made in the image of God and therefore possesses dignity. And the task of this generation, as it will be in every generation, is to understand Christianity as a complete view of the world and humankind's place in it. That is, as the truth. If Christianity is not the truth, it is nothing in our faith, mere sentimentality. So one of the, uh, the TV shows I'm re-watching right now really leans heavily into this uh, sentimentality. Because uh, despite all the bad things that happen to them, the good guys always get a happy ending. They, they hold on to that. They know it's coming. And then so that they're often the message is, you know, hey, never give up hope. You have to keep believing that what you're doing, it all matters. And, and if you live like it matters, and as if there is hope, then there will be. But if you stop living like it matters and you give up on hope, then you will lose it. And there, there's a bit of truth to this, but not the full story, because this is just hoping that there is you know, hope for hope's sake, faith, for, faith in faith, faith in hope. And that... But Christianity teaches there is actually a substantial, real hope behind it all. But there is some truth to this, because if you live like there is no hope, then you, will, then you, you won't get any <laughs> if you live that way. And there's some modern philosophers like Jordan Peterson. They've recognized that it, it truly is better to live as if there is hope. There are real, tangible, positive benefits. It's just a better way to live. But earlier philosophers, like C.S. Lewis and others, they recognized that our, this sentimental desire for deeper meaning and transcendent hope, that yearning in our heart for those things to be true, that is evidence that deep down inside we know they really are true, that there really is hope. And God's Word claims more than sentimental hope. It claims, it sets forth the foundational truth for hope and meaning. And because of truth, because of that truth, then we can recognize the false prophets. We can recognize the, the false truths. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. They can be recognized. The fruits will show. The, the good ideas, bad ideas, they are based on on an actual foundational truth that gives real hope and meaning. And so the hard questions for ourselves and for our neighbors and for the world around us are, do you want the truth? Do you want the way that leads to life? And if you don't or if you, your neighbor doesn't, the question for them is, why not? If people don't want to hear it, what does that say about them? 
What does that say about us? What kind of a, of a tree am I? Because our lives must be built on truth. Otherwise, we will live out the consequences of the bad ideas. And some of those consequences of, of our bad ideas is, putting, is trusting in false hopes. We trust in false relationships and false works. Verse to, uh, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and, and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So first of all, Jesus presents us here with, with someone, anyone, who is trusting in a false relationship. And we, we all know that a false relationship cannot be relied upon. I think all of us have felt the heartbreak of a false relationship or a disappointing relationship that we, we thought it was real, but when we needed it, there was nothing there. And calling Jesus Lord, but not doing His will, is like, is like slapping on a fake name, tab and hope, name tag and hoping that will get you in. I mean, I think we've all seen those name tags that have the arrows. Say, I am with, you know, and point the arrow over here. Or the funny ones, you say, I am with stupid, you know, arrow over here. <laughs> or, um, but if you put, if I write a name tag that says, I'm with, and I fill in a celebrity name, you know, pick your celebrity. I'm, I'm with so-and-so, you know, that name tag is not going to get me in. You know, that especially if I am living in a way that's totally contradictory to that person's values. You know, that, that name tag is not going to get me in. Just claiming it, just slapping on the label, doesn't actually make a real relationship. Or likewise, you know, if I, if I say the Pledge of Allegiance, you know, but I am a lawbreaker and a saboteur or a traitor, you know, I, then I'm not a good citizen. Saying the Pledge doesn't automatically make me a good citizen. I have to abide by the laws. And so the, the relationship has to be real. They have to do the will of the Father in heaven. You have to live as if he really is your Lord, not just call him Lord. And then Jesus also presents us with those who are trusting in false works. And so on, that, on the judgment day, many will show Jesus their works as if they're trying to show the, the fruit, say, say, hey, Jesus, see, here's the good fruit. That may, must mean I'm a good tree, right? Here's my fruit of prophecy, my fruit of casting out demons, my fruit of mighty works, basically saying, hey, hey, no one could do these works if God's not with them. Look at this supernatural confirmation that God is with me and he favors me. And Jesus, I mean, it, it, his response is almost feels like he's shrugging his shoulders and just going, so what? I never knew you. Depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. And that worker of lawlessness, that, that is a horrible condemnation in this context. Remember, we're talking, we're, he's still talking about false prophets and the truth. And so a, a worker of lawlessness is someone who permits someone else to break God's law. 
to say, no, it's, oh, it's okay, you don't have to follow God's will, you don't have to follow God's law, you don't have to do what he says, you don't have to do what he cares about, or what he says actually is the life, you can do what you want. Well, then you are, you're actually promoting lawlessness. You're promoting against the law. And so this miracle, miracle workers, you know, they are using God's name to pervert the truth and deceive others. He was not a... The, this person claiming these things was not a proclaimer of the truth that leads to life. He was a worker of lawlessness. And so we must ask ourselves, I must ask myself as I prepare this every week, you know, similar questions. Are we doing the will of the Father in our lives? Or are we workers of lawlessness? Am I teaching the Father's will or am I teaching something else? And, and these questions are meant for those who think they are God's people, who think they are the church. They profess loyalty to God. They claim good works in their life. So they claim to be Christian. They wear some sort of badge of conformity there. But Jesus is not looking for cultural Christians. Outward profession and outward conformity will not help us. Because if we are diseased trees inside, then, then gluing on healthy leaves and healthy fruit is not going to make us healthy inside. If we want the fruit that, that leads to truth, that comes from the truth, that leads to the way of life, then the truth has to transform us inside and out. And this is exactly what Jesus came to do. Verses 24 through 25. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. As soon as we try to do this, as soon as we try to live by God's word, we find that we cannot. And if you read through the whole Sermon on the Mount, we're confronted again and again with the, the spirit of the law, not the letter, that reveals the state of our own hearts. And we can't do it because we are the diseased trees. Diseased trees cannot bear good fruit. It's, it's our own hearts that are warped and twisted apart from Christ. And our hearts are those trees that cannot bear the good fruit. But Christ's words have the power to transform us, to change what we are inside and out. His word accomplishes in us what we cannot do ourselves. Because Jesus is the truth. And whatever he speaks over you does become true of you. And you can trust his words and you can live by them because Jesus is the true prophet. He is the ultimate source of the truest truth. And what he made clear and, clear and again, he claimed to be more than a man, more than a prophet. He was the one sent by God to save us, the one sent from heaven. And we see here, he is called Lord. There's no pro Prophets don't get to be called Lord. That is a name for God Almighty. And he claims God the Father in heaven as his own direct father. 
he claims these words as his very own words. Jesus is truth. He is the source of truth. He is Lord over all because he, what he says is true. <laughs> and his words in the Gospel of John, I'm going to share a couple of verses here that, that make this so clear for us. John 8, 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And John 10, 10 through 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. So we began at the, the way that leads to life and we finish. Jesus is the way. He is the way that leads to life because he is the truth and the the life. He's the one that brings us to the truth that leads to life. And this life is in himself. And Jesus demonstrated this for us clearly, evidentially, through his life, death, and resurrection. Because in his death, he submitted himself to the consequences of all our bad ideas, all our bad systems. He became the victim in our place of all our bad ideas and bad choices and he's the true prophet that died so that all the false prophets don't have to be uprooted and burned but can instead be saved and god confirmed that jesus truly was sent by him from heaven by raising him from the dead jesus resurrection is god's confirmation that he that god truly sent jesus that Jesus is the true Savior. And these verses say, whoever believes in him will not remain in darkness, will not remain as the diseased tree, will not remain in the lies, will not remain in the falsehoods, but will have the light of life because the good shepherd laid down his life so that you can have eternal life. And through his word, through the truth of his word, he transforms you. So that in his death, your heart dies to all the falsehoods and all the consequences. And in his resurrection life, your heart lives, lives and becomes a healthy tree that bears good fruit. And because the truth truly does set you free, it transforms you. The life of God is put in you so that you live in that life. And so to build your life on Jesus, to build your house on that rock, that means he is your foundation. You're trusting fully in him and what he has done for you. And that he has made your house, that he has made you firm, and that all his ways are good. And that he is your salvation. And so to trust in him and then in that trust live according to his will, that is to build your house on Jesus. And when your house is built on him, the rains may fall and the floods may come, 
doesn't mean bad things won't happen. We're still living next to our neighbors in a world that is still filled with the consequences of, of sin and all the bad ideas and the falsehoods. We're still living in that world. So the rains will come and the floods will rise and the, the winds will beat on your house. But that house will stand. Jesus promises the house built on him will not fall. And this is a truth you can build your life upon because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Believe in him and build your life upon him. Amen. Uh, let's bow our heads and pray. Dear God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus to be our savior and to show us the truth, to be the light in our lives, the light that shows us the truth, the life that, the light that sets us free and transforms us and builds our life on Jesus so that we may walk in the way that leads to true life. And we pray that you would build our faith, strengthen our faith in Jesus, that we might trust in him more fully, that we may know more fully the life that he came to give us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.